Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Hey, John, how are you today? Everything is just fine. We don't have Craig with us today, though. He will be missed. He will be missed, but we are glad we have a guest on, and we've got a fascinating topic today. We're going to be talking from agnosticism to Catholicism. Yes, with a with, with a milestone. We'll with call a, it a milestone. A milestone yes. on the way. Yes, so fascinating. Have you ever gone through that? Have you ever gone through the whole questioning God in your in your journey? I I probably question myself more than that, right? I'm like, why why would I even be doing this? Why would he even mess with me? Oh. Um, more than like. Not him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, my whole junior year of high school, as a matter of fact, was, I would say, to use a technical term, a debacle. <laughs> <laughs> but did you find that because you went through that debacle, yes. that it became more personal for you? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. You own it. Yeah, you yeah. own it. At the end. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I love the, I mean, I got agnostics. I think there's an honesty around that, too, because you're actually, you're still questioning. It's not like you've like totally ruled it out. You're still questioning. And I have a friend who was just talking about that. She said she has a young person in her life who's starting to ask questions and she loves it. But here's what I think is really good about our guest. Yes. So that whole journey. Yeah. And then inside of that journey or as a result of that journey, there's another journey or another whole experience that is very commonplace for us as Catholics, as Christians in a post, what we're going to call a post-Christian world. Yeah. Right. And so... We should just be quiet and get the guest on here because we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> we do have a lot of ground to cover. Um, and he's got a fascinating journey and went rich and deep into it with a lot of curiosity and just honesty. It's just beautiful, his story. So we are speaking today with Dr. Ian Murphy. So can we call you Ian? Yes, Okay. call me Ian. I'm delighted to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Thank you so much. Ian, we always start the family room with prayer, so we're going to have John kick us in prayer, and then we would love to hear more about you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now with incredible thanks and incredible awe at the amazing people that you have in our world and that you put across our path, and we are, we are most grateful for that. We know that you have created us for yourself, and you draw us back, and you also have us understand through your Son that if we deny him before our fellow men that he will deny us before you. And that's nothing more far from, from where we want to be than that. And so we just ask that you pour our spirit out or pour your spirit out now into ours, that all the things that we do in this next hour together will open our minds and open our hearts and that our minds and hearts will be open to the grace that you will dispense and the wisdom you will dispense in sharing this time together with, with uh, Dr. Ian Murphy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, we ask all these things, uh, Father, in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Amen. Spirit. Amen. That was beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so I feel like if I give too much of your bio for our listeners, it's gonna I'm going to have a lot of spoilers in here. So I think what <laughs> I might say is we have Dr. Ian Murphy here with us. He does have this amazing journey, born into a family with Christian parents, but went through his own That's kind right. of crisis of faith at a very young age, agnostic. And then, as John said, he became Catholic, but there were a few... Um, Stops in the way. Or milestones. 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 Mile, that's what you important important milestones. Important milestones. And I feel like if I told too many of those, I would ruin the right. story. So 
But currently, he's written a book. We'll be talking about that. He's got a couple of books out there, and he's also been a professor of theology, and he lives near Charleston with his lovely wife, Rachel. So welcome into the family room, Ian. We really are glad to have you with us. Thanks once again for having me. Again, it's so great to be here, and I appreciate this opportunity to uh, talk about how I came home into the church. It's probably my favorite thing to uh, talk about, so thanks so much for the chance to do so. Well, well, let's just go right there, Ian. We always ask our guests to share a little bit of their faith journey. I think we're going to find out that's going to be a really important piece of our entire conversation. Tell us the, 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 the Dr. Ian Murphy faith journey, please. Sure, sure. In the beginning, <laughs> my godfather and uncle Tim Murphy did something very brave while he was living out near Hillsdale College in Michigan. He was the first convert to the Catholic Church in my family of mostly uh, relativists, Protestants, non-believers, agnostics. Um, there were only a few Catholics in, a, in an otherwise you know, very large family. And he took that brave step of entering the Catholic Church and, and got a lot of heat for it because there were a lot of vehemently anti-Catholic mm -hmm. individuals mm -hmm. across the family. But out in Michigan, he entered the church. His wife followed shortly thereafter, and he he was the trailblazer. I mean, since him, there have been nine converts mm. to the Catholic Church mm. in my family and counting. I was the sixth mm. myself. I was stubborn. It took me a while. <laughs> but he was the brave soul who went first. Uh, to my own timeline, while he was out in the Michigan area, I was in western Pennsylvania, in the area of dairy farmlands about an hour away from Pittsburgh, PA. And I did have Christian parents. They both loved Jesus very much, but I, I didn't have church. Mm. And, you know, how do you have seriously believing parents but no church besides Christmas and Easter? You know, the answer is my parents were hippies. Mm. You know, like, down with organized institutions, down with we don't need that that established Christianity. Me and Jesus will have church in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> you do that really yeah, well. Like. <laughs> church, yeah, when you grow up with it, it gets in there. And church in the it. woods, they had, you know, tie-dyed shirts, a lot of Beatles music, and, um, you know, smoking weed is just part of that whole culture. And so they had this very unofficial relationship with the Lord that was very sincere, an incense yeah, no. of sorts. <laughs> incense. <laughs> Their incense just yeah. smelled a little different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a picture of my dad in Life magazine sitting half stoned at Woodstock. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So this is yeah, this is where I come from. So um, yeah, they loved Jesus. No church. I didn't even know what a Bible was until I was four years old. I I used to think the Bible was the Quaker Oatman. And, <laughs> Not that he wrote it. I didn't know it was a book. I thought that the guy on the Quaker Oak canister was himself the mysteriously at one with the oats inside the Bible. Huh. I have no idea what successful advertising strategy planted such a wholesome connection in my little boy brain, but there it was. And then I find out at the grocery store, you know, that you know, with the buy, I said, Mom, can we get some Bibles? And she said, that's an interesting interest. You're four. You know, but we, we have some at home. And I said, no, I ate them all up. 
That's deep, man. He's a bookworm. Digesting the word. You know, but seriously, I said, no, they're gone. I said, why don't you show me what you're talking about at a grocery store? So I showed her. She said, son, that's not the Bible. That's cereal. And so, you know, she's, of course, very concerned that poor parenting must somehow rest at the core of this colossal misunderstanding. But when she explained to me what the Bible was, Maybe part of that silly misunderstanding in me, God used, it was a grace. I was literally hungry Mm. for that book. I knew, even that young, I had to read it. I started right away matching pictures to words I could sound out. But when I became old enough to read properly, I started this 10-volume children's Bible set Mm. from the beginning and had nearly finished all 10 volumes by the time I was in the second grade. Wow. Mm. That is when my agnosticism kicked in. I thought God probably didn't exist. I, I wanted what I read to be true, you know, that there was a God who made me and loves me, but but where's the proof? Huh. Right? So you were a little scientific mm. and a little analytical guy already, huh? You said it. In fact, at eight years old, I was already reading excerpts from Darwin's Origin of Species. Wow very troubled that his theory was being used to explain how people might just be accidents. Oh. <laughs> you know, the fact that Darwin believed in God was of no comfort. I mean, I knew people were using his theory to posit that human beings are just accidents. And, and that thought scared the living daylights out of me. I mean, it really stressed me out. I thought God probably didn't exist, but if that were the case, and it probably was in my mind, then that means when I die one day, it's just lights out. Hmm. That really scared me. I mean, I won't even have any memory of ever having existed. I just said this follows me until I'm 14 years old. I'm freaking out about the God question. I mean, I I didn't see a point to learning if it's all just over. Hmm. I didn't see a point to my relationships if one day I'm gone and no one, including myself, will have a memory of me ever having existed. It's just lights out. I was just the accidental mutated result of some explosion in outer space, and then it's over. Like, what's the point of anything? Do I give an account? Is there right and wrong? Like, what's the point of this life if it's an accident? You know, so I, I cried out this scary prayer at 14 years old in the eighth grade when this was reaching its climax, this agnostic crisis of mine. I said, God, if I'm going to come to faith, I need to touch the spiritual realm for myself in order to believe. Hmm. You know how they say, be careful what you pray uh-huh. for. Yep, yep. Uh-huh. You might just get it. He answered that prayer in dramatic fashion when he allowed a physical encounter with spiritual warfare. Hmm. I mean, it was terrifying. It was fascinating. I had my proof. Uh, I could speak to this thing telepathically. It was physically crushing me to death. I mean, all the horrifying and fascinating details are in my book. But to uh, give the speedy version, I got it, that if this thing's real, so is God. Hmm. And so I knew what to pray. I said to the thing trying to crush me to death, Go away in the name of Jesus. And at that name, man, this thing was gone. Mm. It released me so instantly at that name spoken. And 
the last thing I picked up from it and its communication with me was its own stark terror hmm. at the name I had just called upon. Mm. So, yeah, sweet dreams tonight, right? <laughs> um, well, yeah, don't be scared of that thing. Be fearfully reverent of the one it answers. Yeah, it, so, it left in his name. And yeah. it's so interesting that you say that because I had a similar experience, not, not because I was going through an ag- agnostic crisis or anything, but there was a time I was in a dream, but I felt like all of a sudden in, I was half awake and half asleep. And mm-hmm. I saw a I saw an evil force on a chandelier in my bedroom. Now I don't have a chandelier in my bedroom, so there was I was in a dream state, but I could physically feel this heaviness, and I knew to call on the name of Jesus. And what happened was I was trying to say Jesus' name, and I couldn't get the words out, and it was mocking me. This evil spirit was mocking me, and I was so mad. I wasn't scared. I was mad. And I remember mm-hmm. I sat up in bed. I like hit the, I remember sitting straight up in bed and hitting the bed and saying Jesus out loud. I woke up saying Jesus out loud. And at that moment it was gone. It was totally gone. But for me, Ian, kind of like what you were saying is you need to know that because what I realized was while this was going on, I was trying to hit my husband to wake him up so that he would say the name of Jesus and I realized that he, I didn't know if he knew to do that. And so I was trying to wake him up. And so as soon as I woke up that next morning, I basically told everybody in my family, okay, if you ever sense evil, you need to say the name of Jesus. And I mean, I just would, everybody I talked to, I'd try to tell them that because like you just said, it's such a powerful name. And it tells us in scripture that, that at that name. And so the fact that you, that this being, you know, you could feel the terror that that had, that is great. Have you had that type of experience, John? Because you were nodding your head. Yeah, we can. We'll get Talk into about another later. day. Yeah, we're good. It's yeah, yeah. In Jesus' name. Yeah, in Jesus' name. So I just wanted to camp on that for a second because I think it's so mm. important for everybody to know that truth that you knew at a very young age. And I'm so glad you did. But you're not alone. I mean, so many people have had that brand of spiritual warfare, but they're hesitant to talk about it because mm. we live in this modern age where they might get you know suspected of a mental illness or get no this is absolutely real i just read the new testament yeah. jesus right. was encountering them around every corner yeah you know and and my mom told me i always knew something like this would happen to you oh gosh and i said how well how you know you you knew one day dark invisible demonic assassins were going to come to your son in the night try to kill him why didn't you tell me about that <laughs> and she said you, you needed to see this for yourself my little doubting thomas yeah. reading darwin when he's 8 like you you needed to and i said well how did you know and she said because while while i was pregnant with you same thing happened to me mm. they were apparently aware of some ministry anointing on your life they're trying to stop it before it could start and that's the night I asked Jesus into my heart with my parents, and mm. it was an unforgettable moment. And and she said uh, she got rid of those evil forces exactly the same way I did. Mm. They answered immediately to the name of Jesus and released her. So if anyone out there is, of our listeners has had an experience like that, I just want to comfort them. It's more common than you realize you're not alone. Uh, across history, across the world, everyone knows these things are around us, and they answer to the king of all kings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, my my heart broke for other skeptics like I used to be when I came to faith. So I started at 14 pouring myself into apologetics Hmm. and kind of beefing up this unofficial ministry to skeptics, atheists, agnostics, 
just in my friendship circle, I tell them my testimony. I tell them, you know, the wonderful evidences of Christianity's objective reality that I was learning about. And this ministry to doubters reaches a climax when I was 18, and my high school named me valedictorian. That happens to kids who read Darwin when they're in the second grade. <laughs> and uh, they, they asked me, you know, what, what, what do you want to give the commencement speech about? You know, you did it. You're, gradu- you're graduating rank one. I said, well, I want to tell them about Jesus. Mm. And they said, oh, this is a public secular school. You, you can't do that. And I said, no, this is America. Yes, I can do that. And, you know, I explained to them, we have a constitution with a bill of rights that protects my freedoms of religion and speech in this country. And the audience that day is can choose to disagree with my remarks. And those liberties make this country great. You know, and she said, yeah, thanks for the history lesson. Ian, if you say the name of Jesus, I will pull the plug on the microphone myself. Mm. I will silence that name. So this is turn, this turns into one of those uh, milestones that John had mentioned, where my stand for free speech blew up into a nationwide three-ring media circus. Literally overnight, I became the free speech kid. You know, I called up the papers and. Uh, uh, it just blew up. It was followed around the country, and I was on TV and radio all the time. What, what a crazy time that was. So, listeners, if you were just joining us, you are here in the family room listening to this fascinating life of Dr. Ian Murphy. Okay, so you're a valedictorian. You want to talk about Jesus. You say, they say you can't. So what did you do? Because you just went by that real quick, that there was a media circus. But there's some cool stuff that happened in that story um, there. Would you go a little deeper into that? Absolutely. I appreciate the question. Yeah, I I called up the local paper and said, you know, would you just print what I want to say when my speech is? Then at graduation, I was planning to just go up to the podium if you and say, if you'd like to hear what I have to say, it's printed in the local paper. Thanks. <laughs> Sit back down before anyone could pull the plug. <laughs> Well, the the local paper is very upset at this unlawful, unconstitutional censorship. You know, they said, you know, we get something this hot. We've got to send it up the food chain. Hang on a second. This other reporter gets on the phone with me, says, all right, kid, what's your story? (laughs) I said, well, they won't let me talk about Jesus at my high school graduation. He said, they what? This is a free country. They can't do this. And then he tries to muffle the phone, but I hear him yell, we've got a hot one. Kid, where do you live? And he finds me in the middle of the dairy farmlands of western Pennsylvania. They record an interview, take pictures of me writing a speech at my desk, and they, you know, they do the whole thing. And the next day, I I wake up at 4 a.m. to an organization threatening to picket my high school and get my principal fired. Oh my gosh. I told them, please don't. I have a calculus test today. <laughs> I get to. I'd have been picket, picket. But he was the well, valedictorian. Yeah, I know. You were the smart guy. <laughs> well, a different organization was already there picketing oh. the high school, trying to get my principal fired. I said, I better take this math test and bolt. I go up to my locker. Someone comes up to me, said I was on the radio. Someone else said I was on the radio. Someone else. Someone shows me the picture of the tri state paper. And I'm, I'm the headliner, a color photo, giant headline, commencement speech about re- religion rejected, mm. free speech 
denied. And then through the AP wire, the Associated Press, all the radio stations were playing the recorded interview. Uh, papers were picking it up. Uh, the local news station changed their opening you know, doo -doo 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 news. They changed that to the well-known graduation processional pomp and circumstance playing and a slow zoom in on my senior class picture, although I had had a bad hair day. I mean, I was, I was getting fan mail sent to the high school to my attention from around the country, filling hefty bags, oh my gosh. like these Santa Claus-sized sacks of fan, fan mail. Some of the letters contained cash. Oh, my gosh. So I was sure to open every single piece of fan mail. <laughs> and girls liked me. You know, not just regular ones, but, but high-quality babes <laughs> suddenly became interested. I'm like, HQBs, baby. Cash? Babes, they serve in Jesus's tight. <laughs> but I had a lot to learn, you know, about, you know, about his cross, about sacrifice, mm, self-donation, yeah. redemptive suffering. And he has his way of showing us those things. But, but anyway, we had to escape the media circus. So we took off for Uncle Tim's wedding, the perfect occasion. The thing is, when we left for Michigan, Channel 4 News dispatched a helicopter news crew to chase us from Pennsylvania to Michigan to get the next exclusive. So we had to lose the choppers. We did. <laughs> and when I got out, my Uncle Tim greeted me. said, I've been watching you on the tube all day. Got to do an exciting stuff in your life. I'd like this little book to be a part of it. And he handed me Rome Sweet Home. Oh, my gosh. Which it, which at the time, by Scott Hahn, at the time I yeah. promised to tear it to shreds. I said, I'm going to tear this Scott Hahn guy to shreds. If you had told me that one day he'd talk about me in one of his books, in Reasons to Believe, by Scott Hahn, pages 90 and 91, <laughs> I would have just laughed. But even funnier, he ended up writing the introduction right. to my own yes. version of Rome Sweet Home, my conversion story book, Dying to Live, from Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic, through Ignatius Press, includes a foreword by Scott Hahn, the same guy I said I was going to tear to pieces. You can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Only he can write a story like this. And eventually we had to go back into the three-ring media circus, and the school backed down under all the pressure, let me give my speech. One of my classmates accepted Christ, and mm -hmm. I suspect the whole craziness was all for her. A couple months later, the media was back, I didn't know why. I thought the whole thing had died down. But it was, they said, uh, we're here on behalf of Senator Arlen Specter of Pennsylvania, and he, he wishes he could be here in person to give you this news, but he specifically requested a live reaction. So we're going to go in five, four, look at us, not the camera, two, one. Ian Murphy, inspired by your stand for free speech, Senator Specter of Pennsylvania drafted a bill to the U.S. Congress to protect graduates from these unconstitutional censorship attempts. It was passed through both houses of our divided Congress, and the President of the United States just signed it into law. How does it feel to know you just affected the laws of our country? And I, I look at her, I lean into the microphone, and I said, good. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. The free speech kids said that it feels good. Back to you at the studio. I begged for a retake. I mean, I literally begged. They said, no, no, the senator's going to love that. That's absolutely priceless. 
So, yeah, that momentum follows me into college. It started a ministry very young. People wanted to hear the story. I was still on radio, getting to preach at revivals, churches, youth groups, retreats, camps. And before I knew it, the Baptists licensed me, ordained me. And still in my 20s, I had my own church in the heart of the Bible Belt in Texas You know, after college. And um, the problem is, at this point in my story— I had read that little book by Scott Hahn and was convinced by it. So I was a a secret Catholic, kind of living a double life. One of my favorite chapters in in my book is called How to Give Catholic Homilies as a Baptist Preacher. (laughs) You just change a few key words. Peter becomes Saint Peter. The seven deadly sins become seven sins that can kill you. (laughs) And I could just give all the great Catholic doctrine I wanted and just change a few words. But, of course, this was dishonest, and it caught up to me. And uh, I had to put this new ecclesiological crisis to rest. It was eating me alive just as my former agnostic crisis Mm, of old. You know, I needed to decide what I believed about the fullest form of Christ's followers, Christ's church on this earth. Wow. Other than that, (laughs) kind of what happened. (laughs) That's so amazing. One of the things that I loved about your story was the different divine appointments that led you to become Catholic. So obviously we've got Scott Hahn's book, Rome Sweet Home, and if anybody hasn't read it, go get it. It's a great book, Um, and obviously it it fed into yours. But you had a couple of other divine appointments. Um, Could you speak to a couple of those? Absolutely. In my stubbornness, I mean, because if if I— entered the Catholic Church, I had a parsonage I would lose, a network I would lose, a full-time pastorate, and my income. And I was in master school at the time at a Baptist college. So I went around looking for people to talk me out of Catholicism, you know, to show me that thing that Scott Hahn missed, or Pat Madrid, or Carl Keating, the other people I was reading, that thing they must have overlooked, some reason that could justify me staying a Baptist and keeping my house and my job. Mm. So I, I call up some old friend from college, and, and I knew he hated the church as bad as my dad did. And I said, hey, Nate, uh, how, how you, he said, you haven't talked to me in years. Like, to what do I owe the phone call? And I said, Yo, you're going to laugh at me, but yeah, sorry I lost touch. But listen, I need you to talk me out of Catholicism. And he said, Ian, I'm Catholic. I just converted last Easter. That's why the Holy Spirit told you to call me. This is great. I actually hung up on him. felt bad, so I called him back to apologize, and he was still laughing at me when I called him back. And, that is um, great. That was one of those uh, well-set divine appointments, to be sure. That is great. Well, we will hear more of that in just a few minutes when we come back from our break. So please stay tuned and keep he- listening here to The Family Room with Dr. Ian Murphy. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on the Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States. 
with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're here with Dr. Ian Murphy, and we're talking about an amazing faith journey. Ian, thank you so much for being with us. This has truly been an awesome first segment, and we want to continue. But as you know, there's a special part of our second segment. So would you take a minute and share with us and our listeners your favorite family room memory? I would be delighted to. The family naturally would gather around dinner. And, and I think that that's some, there's something so special about that because that's that's the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. This is God's family, and it's gathered around a meal, mm-hmm. and, and one of such profound significance. I mean, He's actually present with us in in this a completely miraculous way. It's so so. I think we're just made in His image. That God-shaped void is in us, and we naturally growing up gather with love around a meal. Mm -hmm. Like, we do that before we even find out the truth of the Catholic Church. And in one of these gatherings, we had um, the family and some extended relatives gathered around a meal, and it was during my agnostic crisis. But one of the great things about these meetings in the family room, you know, our family room growing up, was that the communication, we would talk, 
Mm-hmm. You know, there'd be no phones, there'd be no TV. This was our chance to connect, to laugh, to to relate to download our lives and our days. And I went ahead and my my great aunt was there. And she was one of the only few Catholics in the family. And and I was filled with these horrifying doubts about life after death being lights out. It was during that crisis mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I and I said, "Auntie Jojo, do you really believe this Jesus stuff?" And without missing a beat, she says, "You darn straight, I do." <laughs> what's what's wrong with you? And, and I'm just like, it, it kind of takes me aback. And I'm like, yeah, but like, how do you know? Like, what's your proof? And she said, "Let me get this straight. Let, let's just follow your thinking to its logical conclusion. All right, there's this giant explosion in outer space, and you get the human brain, something more complex than a than a computer. You ever blow up dynamite? Get a computer? <laughs> oh, but no, but you think there's a giant explosion in outer space, and then you accidentally get life, and it keeps mutating, and it keeps mutating some more accidentally, and then you get." butterflies and music and right and wrong and beautiful sunsets and flowers and people. What is your problem? (laughs) Now, I would normally call this harsh variety of evangelization conversion by concussion. (laughs) And I'm typically against it, but with the sole exception of Auntie Jojo, she made it work. Maybe it was her thick New Jersey accent. I don't know. But that planted such a life-changing seed in me that would later blossom when I became a Christian myself. That's a, Do you know what that sounds like, though? What? When you talk to Dr. Alan Hunt oh, yeah. and ask him you know, about his conversion <laughs> yes. to Catholicism, I, he will refer to a nun, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm going to get it wrong. But, yeah. but she basically, and I don't know if there was a New Jersey accent, but she, but she basically went to John chapter 6, and she said, what does that say? And do you have a reading problem? Yeah, it's, like, exactly. it's like you're a pretty bright guy. I think what? he was. I think he was in Yale Divinity School at the time, or something. I, and, and she's like, "Okay, so you're a smart guy. You're at Yale, and okay, what about this? Does it? Do you not understand? Like there's, <laughs> it's right here. there's not a, there's not a word in here that has more than three syllables in it. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm totally abusing Doctor Hunt's right. story, but but that's what it reminded me. Yeah. So Andy Jojo just was the maybe catalyst for yeah, that. Yeah, that's great. Well, and it also sounds like the way your brain worked, you needed Andy Jojo, right? God knows what we need. Absolutely. He knows who we need in our you lives. Yeah, he knows all those divine appointments that we were talking about right before the break. Um, you mentioned that your time as a family joining, coming together for a meal is a, is a very beautiful representation of Eucharist. And it was interesting, as I've heard you speak before, you talked about the real presence in the Eucharist. And part of you trying to explain your conversion was explaining to your dad about the real presence in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And I think that as Catholics, especially this year, you know, we were supposed to have a huge Eucharistic revival, mm-hmm. renewal happening mm-hmm. in our in our faith tradition right now and some of us i don't know if we always know how to explain it or describe it and you had some beautiful ways of of describing the eucharist being the fulfillment of passover and the ultimate reversal and all would you share some of that um with with us oh i'd love to Uh, back to john six i mean Jesus was no stranger to symbolism. Mm -hmm. He and his followers, they were no stranger to using metaphors Mm -hmm. to teach. They did it all the time with the parables, you know, or or with analogies. When Nicodemus challenges Jesus as born again, 
how can a guy go back at his mom and mm-hmm. get born a second time? And, and Jesus explains, look, there's earthly natural stuff, and then there's spiritual stuff. You know, he spells it out for him, like that, that in short, this is an analogy, Nicodemus, mm-hmm. or with the parable of the sower. Right. Yeah. You know, if that was taken literally, the, the, the apostles would be running around throwing seeds at everybody, <laughs> like it's throwing hey, wheat seeds in the face. Well, this is what Jesus told me to do, getting bombarded with wheat seeds. No, he spells it out. He says, look, it's a, it's a parable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's symbolic language. The seed represents this, and the, and the stony ground, etc., represents this, and, and, and so forth. When he is challenged on his words in John 6, his, his, with people leaving mm-hmm. and with people saying, this is a hard teaching, he says he emphatically, this is his response, amen, amen, I say to you, my flesh is real food mm-hmm. and my blood is real drink. Like he is, I mean, he couldn't have been more plain. Yeah. And like in one of the like uh, conversations you refer to in my book, my brother was challenging me on the real presence, and he said, "Substantially, Jesus, really, substantially, Jesus. Then, then why wouldn't I get sick when I eat it? Mm. Why wouldn't the accusations of cannibalism be accurate?" And so I answered my brother. I said, "Sean, do you think that substance?" is a synonym for molecules. And ah. he said, oh, you know what, I, that, is, that is what I'm thinking. I said, yeah, that's materialism, that you need a larger worldview here. The substance of a thing is what it actually is mm-hmm. entirely at its core. Its molecules are just, just one aspect of what makes it present. You know, like you, for example, if you were just your molecules, Sean, you wouldn't be you anymore. You'd be a corpse. Mm. We wouldn't even call it a body anymore because it wouldn't be making your invisible soul truly present. Mm. You know, there's more to substance than the building blocks. In fact, the Church teaches that with the exception of beautiful Eucharistic miracles that God provides us with to help us come to faith, like the miracle He provided me with, with the rescue from spiritual warfare, He does allow miracles to help us come to faith. But typically at the Mass, it is truly, substantially, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it maintains the appearance of bread. Mm-hmm. We see the same thing when Jesus was among us. He was truly, substantially, 100% God and 100% man at the same time. But barring the transfiguration miracle, mm-hmm. when he revealed his divine glory, all you would have seen is that appearance of pure humanity, mm-hmm. even though substantially he was still God. So that's what his presence with us still looks like. And where I I dealt with my dad, you know, I pointed out that he already accepts Jesus's real presence where two or three are gathered at his wedding, at his baptism, when he received the Holy Spirit, in prayer. None of these are metaphors. Prayer isn't a symbol for a conversation. It's an actual conversation, and, and actual God is truly present, really hearing you, truly responding to you. It's not a metaphor. How come with what he called communion, he insists that that's purely a representation. Hmm. He accepts God's literal presence in some mysterious, unexplainable way in all these other ways. Yeah. Already. 
Yeah. And so that was that created the bridge. The last thing he said to me three days before he died was that he was going to become Catholic. Oh, my uh, I consider my dad the 10th convert in my family. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Amazing. So can we switch gears just a tiny bit? And I was listening to your whole conversation about the whole experience where the media came and they did this thing about the denial of free speech. And in my mind, I'm like, what planet is Ian on? Because that's not how it works, right? It's 180 degrees from that right now. So you graduated in 1996? Three. Three. 1993. Okay. From high school. So So 30 years ago. 30 years ago, this all made sense. Now, and if if you told that story, we'd be like, something happened to the media. We wouldn't be wondering about a conversion in you. We'd be wondering about some kind of miraculous conversion in the media. What insights can you share? This is a a much different, we call it a post-Christian world. It's, you said get a bigger worldview as you were trying to explain this to your brother, Sean, right? But how do you help us reconcile that? I appreciate that insight. It, it, it's so true. You're right on the money. From 30 years ago to today, if you have your finger on the pulse of the culture, you, you know the pendulum on that has swung to the one. It's an over 180. It has yeah. swung totally the opposite direction. I don't think that could have happened to me today. I agree. Um, the law is still on the books. Um, in fact, last May, a Michigan valedictorian was try was it that somebody attempted to censor them, and their lawyer dug up Senator Specter's old law, and so they didn't even bring it to court. I mean, mm. it cleared the matter, and she was allowed to speak. It pulled me onto another talk show. <laughs> um, so it's it's still out there, and the truth stays the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, the truth doesn't isn't isn't what swings. Like, whatever form the enemy's lie of you can be as the Almighty takes in any given epic of human history, that takes on a new dress. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same lie that the first people heard. It's the same lie he thought about. I can be as the Almighty. You can be as the Almighty. And it just keeps taking on different dress. Um, I would encourage people that Jesus told us the weeds will grow side by side along the fruit-bearing crops. He said, I'm on it. I'm aware of it. God knows about that. He said, when the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Fear not. I've overcome it. You get to go be a crop. Mm. It kind of lets us off the hook. He said, there will be a harvest. It's not even my human people who do it. The angels take care of that. So it's really just, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't have to panic about the weeds. If I pulled them prematurely, I I would lose some of my own, and I'll leave the whole flock to get everyone who belongs to me. So I know what I'm doing. There is a date set. The angels will do the harvest. In the mean, that tells me he doesn't want me worried about the weeds. That tells me I am free to go be a fruit-bearing crop and Mm. keep growing in the freedom of authority that I've been blessed with in the Catholic Church. So panic not, just be a crop. Fear not, right? Fear not. That is such beautiful um, encouragement. It really is encouragement. So listeners, if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room and you just heard those encouraging words from Dr. Ian Murphy, who is sharing with us today his journey from agnosticism to Catholicism. And um, one of the things that you just said is you were talking about 
you know, fear not, um, knowing that God uh, wants you to focus on how to be fruitful. So now that you became a Catholic, and I know there's so much more in your book, and we'll make sure we've got links to your book in our show notes. Um, so you became a Baptist minister, but then God called you in Catholicism. How is has he been calling you to be fruitful? What kind of things has he been doing to help you continue to share your amazing gifts and talents and interests for his kingdom and glory? Oh, God bless you. I love this question. Um, for a while, I was a professor, most recently at Divine Mercy University. Currently, I'm just a full-time writer and speaker. Um, after Dying to Live from Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic, after that book came out with Ignatius Press, it just... You know, their whole promotional campaign tour for a new release put me on radio and TV shows and, you know, the Journey Home conversation with Cardinal Dolan, FUS Presents on mm-hmm. EWTN. I mean, it's been very exciting. It just kind of took over. I couldn't teach anymore. I, I feel like God made my classroom a whole lot bigger. <laughs> there you go. So I've since uh, put out another book. Uh, I'd love to mention it. Just It's hot off the press just last March. This one's a Sophia Press offering called The Road to Self-Awareness, a Therapy Book for Christians. Hmm. And this is, you know, it is a book about healing in Christ. It is baby steps, a step-by-step accompaniment out of whatever has someone stuck, but not just what they're saved from, the joy they're saved from. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful step-by-step accompaniment, whether it's an addiction or misspent energy or a toxic relationship or anxiety. We all need healing, and we shouldn't, like, be going to church for a ticket to heaven, but then Dr. Phil for our healing. Jesus is our great physician, (laughs) and he knows how to heal us. And I thought I'd write the therapy book that puts the counselor, the Holy Spirit, back in counseling that puts God back at the center of the therapeutic approach. In the end, it's a book about the salvation process itself as we work it out with fear and trembling, step by step, out of what has you stuck, into the abundant life for you. The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. Uh, Any interested listeners today could get either of these titles at my website, uh, drianmurphy.com. D-R-I-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. If you do order it from my website, I'll happily autograph it to you uh, personally. But um, that's been the latest, and that's been very exciting. You know, because you, you can do so much more in a book that you, than you can yeah. do in a talk. It's, yeah. it's really fun to have these books out there. And uh, just pray for me that I can stay out of God's way. That's... That. <laughs> It's great to have that faith story and and the phenomenon and the phenomenal things that went that transpired in in your faith walk. I feel like you did your faith story and then you went to this book. To me, I'm more interested in the second book because mm. we we always ask our guests share with our listeners things that they can do. What right. are the things you can do based on this amazing information or this amazing uh, story that you just heard? First, I'm not going to pretend like I read the book because that would be incorrect. I've heard your story. I'm almost more interested in the second one because that's where I want to know, okay, what are these things? Because what you shared mm. was so genuine and yet so... Practical. Yeah. Yeah. So I say all that, like, are there key things that you would say, hey, in this book, or if this is a scenario for you, this is what I share. Is there is there any way you can kind of do that? 
Thank you for the chance to talk about it. I I appreciate these excellent questions. Yeah, In the Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians, the driving narrative for my life that I use to tell, uh, to give these healing tactics, Mm -hmm. these practical procedural steps, you know, what what do I do? What can I expect? What's this look like? Is I base it on a story of my own healing where I lose over a hundred pounds. The original title of the book was going to be How Thomas Aquinas Helped Me Lose Over a Century of Weight. (laughs) But then we realized, you know, the healing concepts apply to any area of need. Mm-hmm. You know, they really do. But then mm-hmm. it's not written from the point of view of someone who has it all sorted out. It's written from the vulnerable place of my own brokenness, mm-hmm. my own repentance. Because, you know, when, when I read a book and I feel like the author has everything sorted out, I, I just can't really relate with that. I can relate with somebody stumbling and falling on their face who's still broken and pressing on because they're a work in progress so it's written from my own brokenness and it it's that it concretizes the victory you know these aren't just theories this is what it looked like for somebody having a broken and hilarious battle Mm -hmm. with weight loss but whatever the battle is, all these all these tactics can work for somebody. Um, just as a teaser, one of the biggest surprises I found in writing the book was after one failed diet, I, I used to weigh over 300 pounds. You literally wouldn't have recognized me. Wow. My face looked different. you know. And it was one failed diet after the next as I encountered this secular therapeutic world of cheap gimmicks masquerading as inner peace, overly affirming lies that were actually keeping me sick. Mm. And every exercise regime failed. Every diet failed. It, It never attended to my body soul unity. And it's when I became a Catholic and I had that bigger worldview where I had transcendence. I had the power of sacrament, the power of grace, the great physician's Holy Spirit with me, guiding me daily and giving me grace and strength for the next baby step. What he showed me, the biggest surprise was that healing wasn't a matter of feeling my way into a new way of doing something. Mm. You know, previously, I wanted to feel different. If, if I felt like doing it, I'd do better things. But then I wait to feel like doing better things. I never feel like changing, you know, and so I never change. But it's not a matter of feeling my way into a new way of living and doing and acting. It's about doing our way into a new way of feeling, mm-hmm. doing our way into a new way of feeling. The specific baby step actions of virtue come first. For for me, getting on a treadmill, just that one baby step, God, give me the grace to get on it for 20 minutes today and just let today take care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's plenty. An easy yoke, a light burden. Get on the treadmill. I remember the first time I dragged my 300-pound self onto a treadmill, I said, the weights in this gym smell bad. This is miserable. I'm sweating. I'm not getting any skinnier. Is it always going to be this miserable to exercise? And the answer was, no, it's only going to be this miserable about 27 more times. (laughs) Because the 28th time I took that graced baby step, only ever one at a time, onto the treadmill, the habit switch flipped. 
mm-hmm. repetition internalized into something second nature, a new disposition, a tendency, a routine, a habit. It was just part of my day. I actually felt like doing it. I became addicted to the toxin cleanse. My day wasn't complete without it. It's the power of habit when we internalize new tendencies, new second nature routines. And then that ended up shaping my character. So I didn't lose 100 pounds by losing 100 pounds. I lost 100 pounds by losing one pound Mm. 100 times, Mm -hmm. which is different, which is different. So I hope that's a good teaser to whet the appetite of anybody interested in this step-by-step healing book, The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. I want to take a liberty here because something like just clicked in my brain as I was listening to you. And I'm going to get the words wrong, but it's your whole idea of starting a new habit or forming a new behavior. I'm going to go all the way back to your conversation about the physical spiritual warfare experience you had and calling on Jesus' name and saying that is the habit. I think if our listeners take anything away from this conversation, and Lord knows there's a ton to take away, but if somebody out there creates a new habit that each time, whether it's psychological warfare, spiritual warfare, bad habits, whatever the thing is, it's even easier Ian, than getting on the treadmill. It's just Jesus. In Jesus' name, I claim. In Jesus' name, I reject. If we can get that, man, you've done a miracle again. Yeah. Amen. I couldn't have said it better. Thanks, John. You nailed it. He did. And what you said went along with what God had planted in my mind was, and that's why we're disciples of Jesus, that discipline, discipline, disciple, Jesus, calling on Jesus, following him. Yeah. Dr. Ian Murphy, we have loved having you here in the family room. We are looking forward to reading your books and maybe we can talk to you again once we've read them and done some work on them ourselves. Yeah. Um, We forgot to ask your permission if you would be willing to do this, but would you be willing to close us in prayer? Oh, I would love to. Thank Uh, Thank you again for having me on the program. And uh, I hope you had at least half as much fun as I did. I would love to come back anytime. Awesome. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for John and for Mari and for Craig. Uh, Bless him wherever he is today. And for all of our listeners, Lord, as, as words came out of our mouths in this beautiful conversation, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak directly to the hearts of every listener who tuned in. I don't believe it's an accident they're hearing this now. I don't believe it was a coincidence that they tuned in today. I believe they are meant to be here, that you drew them here because you have something for them. May they hear from you and know that they are pursued, they are delighted in, and they are awaited Thank you, and God bless everyone listening to this today. God bless the family room. Keep using them to send forth the good news of your gospel, your love, your salvation, and the hope we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dr. Ian Murphy, thank you for being with us here in the Family Room. Listeners, we thank you for tuning in. Please be with us here again next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.